Hey friends, welcome to the very first episode of Victory Points, the board game podcast. I'm your host, Becca Scott, and guys, make sure you like, share, and subscribe because you are my only listener right now. You, the one person listening. Now, uh, if you've never heard of me, <laughs> what rock you've been living under, I am uh, the host of Geek and Sundry's Game the Game, where we play a new board game every week, and I'm also a host for companies like Games Workshop and Asmodee, and that's not what's important. What's important is my guest, my very Aww. first guest, Jake Michaels. Hi. Hi. Yeah. Welcome. Thanks for having me. It's so nice to meet you. It was weird to ask someone I barely know to be on my first episode of a podcast, but here we are. Yeah. Let me introduce you because I wrote. You wrote a thing for me? You wrote like a blurb? I wrote a blurb. He's a writer, comedian, producer for Legendary Digital Networks. You may know his work on We're Alive Frontier, Relics and Rarities, which will premiere uh, later this month. So you might not. Uh, and of course, he writes and directs my shows. The most important thing he could ever do. Oh, that's that's in there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, moving along means <laughs> that I should say why I invited you here, and that is to talk about the greatest game of all time, Twilight Imperium Fourth Edition. Yeah, I'm not sure I would say it's the greatest game of all time, but for me, that's it's one of the greatest. Okay, but let me let me let me just back it up. I want to say it is one of the greatest game experiences I've ever had so far, and it provides that a lot. But like, how do you differentiate the two? Hmm. Well, let's. I mean, I know that I have some of my favorite films, for instance, but I know that a lot of people wouldn't regard it as the best films of all time. Like, you know, the Citizen Kane's and Godfather's. I like those films, but I don't personally love, love, love them. But I do acknowledge that they're the best. Twilight Imperium, I love, 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 but I'm not sure it's necessarily the best because it's not. For everybody. But I would say it's among the Godfathers and the Citizen Canes yes. of games, yes. if you're talking first edition. Yes. I think as of this discussion, it currently sits at like 10 or 11 on the Board Game Geek ratings system. Um, mm. Oh, you're going to look that up? Well, I've already got it. No, just <laughs> kidding. I'm not going to look that up. That's Regardless, it's sense. high enough up there, and it deserves it, because it is, it is epic, in a word. All right. First question that I wrote down. <laughs> What the heck is Twilight Imperium? I have been trying to figure out a good, uh, short, succinct way of describing this game. And I think the the easiest way is to say it that it's a game of galactic warfare and diplomacy. Something we all know from our everyday lives. <laughs> exactly. When I say those words, you can kind of get what I'm saying, but it doesn't even do the beginning of justice to what this game is in terms of its depth. But the... <laughs> I say... 10-hour intergalactic risk, but more diplomacy. Yeah, and when you say risk, you mean the board game risk that is a game of mashing armies up against one another. And at the outset, that does kind of what it feels like because the players in Twilight Imperium do build up large fleets of starships, and they are meant to both intimidate and battle each other throughout the game. However, unlike risk, the game doesn't reward combat quite as much as it's... It notes that it's a very dangerous and risky proposition and can be quite costly as well. Risky? Uh, I learned that the hard way my very first time playing with you as the Arborek because the Arborek are the plant people. They can just spawn more and more warships. And that's exactly what I did. I just kept building forces, which has nothing to do with how you gain victory points in this game. Yes, it's very easy to get distracted in a game like Twilight Imperium with like building your presence on the map or colonizing a lot of planets. But the game isn't actually about necessarily controlling everything or dominating people it's about completing objectives so let's actually let me explain what the game is let's just play okay cool uh this will be a 14 hour podcast as we play two teams each in a four player game with only two players perfect Uh, let me explain like a little bit i guess of how the game goes uh six players generally speaking play different factions or races in a battle for, I guess, control of a galaxy. In the center of that galaxy is the capital planet called... Mechatol Rex. Mechatol Rex. I hear it differently. But whenever you capture it, you've uh, loudly proclaimed Mechatol Rex. (laughs) And we haven't been able to call it anything that while you hold it, which usually results in a lot of us trying to take it back so we can get back to normal. Uh, And uh, once that planet is colonized by one of the six factions playing the game, um, a new 
round type opens up called the agenda phase where people can actually vote on laws and agendas that change the rules of the game. If only. And no lobbyists are involved in this at all, which is the cool <laughs> part about the politics in this vacuum of a world. Theoretically, no. Yeah. Uh, and each turn you get to, the turn order changes each turn, a very interesting mechanic. Man, I'm realizing how hard it is to summarize this, though, right? We're not summarizing. We're just waxing philosophical about... You know, they're not going to learn how to play from this. <laughs> yeah, For that's that, true. they can watch that's our true. how to play videos that's on true. Geek and Sundry. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, you're right. The, the initiative order changes based on the actions of the previous turn. Additionally, uh, like I said, the game isn't about necessarily beating your opponents into submission as much as it is completing objectives. Throughout the game, uh, different objectives on cards will pop up, and the first player to complete 10 objective points wins. Um, they're called victory points, actually. You know, yeah, that's the name of the show. Ding! Great. One victory point for you, because the secret formula for getting victory points on this show, which you asked me before we started recording, was to say the name of the show. Excellent. There cool. you go. But you have to work it in. You yeah, can't just yeah, say you can't it. just, yeah. Yeah, you can't just can't mash that button. So why do nerds like us freak out about this game so much? Because it's not just because it's eight hours and therefore impressive to have sat for that long playing a game. <laughs> Especially for someone with an attention span like mine. Yeah. What What is it that's magical about this game? Because I mean, yeah. even though you said it's not the best designed game, which I don't know, I kind of disagree with. Yeah. Um, it's it's kind of the most fun gaming experience I've ever had. Because after last time we played, we played a different game, and it just didn't feel yeah. like enough. Yeah. 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 It is. It. I. My best gaming memories are playing this game so far. Um, and every. Because it's eight hours, everything has kind of a storyline to it. Because you remember in hour four when we had all that tension, and then hour five everybody calmed down, and then hour six everybody backstabbed each other kind of situation. Yeah. So you see the arc and the narrative, which is what we like as people as well as story, right? So this game allows you to traverse those storylines quite easily because so much happens in so much time. Sure, and easy, easy opportunity for role play. You could play as the lion people. <laughs> They yeah, have a name. The Emirates of Hakan. Mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, the, the Crazy Space Marines. The Crazy Space Marines, the Federation of Soul. Soul, which I've read is impossible. They're one of the two races that uh, just dominate all the time and kind of break the game by being so good. Well, statistically speaking, I would say no race actually breaks the game, but some of them are definitely superior than others. But if you have players who know the mechanics well enough, they can do fine with the quote-unquote lesser factions. What you're saying is you personally could win uh, with any faction. I'm That's not what saying I'm that hearing. at all. <clears throat> My next question written down on this piece of paper is, Jake, when are you going to stop cheating and let somebody else win? Um, I'll sit out the next game. No, that's not. <laughs> no, then I don't get the benefit of beating you. Uh, the problem with like how much I play this, and because I read board game rules every week for my job, is you that do? yeah, I kind of see the lines in the matrix in terms of how things interconnect. I'm, I wouldn't say I'm the best gamer in the world, but I do understand the rules. So I unfortunately can take advantage of knowing timing and like when you're allowed to do certain things and when they will resolve. So I think it gives me a somewhat unfair advantage to just be so familiar with it that even a non-veteran of the game should be able to walk in with the same knowledge as me. They don't from just pure experience. I think that's called cheating, right? Yeah, Is that's that what cheating. You said called? Yeah, cheating. No, yeah, yeah, cool, cool, cool. cool. <laughs> Definitely great, cheating. Great, yeah. Also, I was just thinking that you should write an, a, a non-fiction novel about how to, how to game the system with all your knowledge into the matrix <laughs> of how game rules work. Game the game? I was going to say that accidentally. Um, no points for that. That's actually negative okay, points negative if you points. say We're the name negative. of my other show Great. So on back this to show. Zero. Yeah, you're back at zero. Back to zero. I'm keeping track, though. Don't worry. Okay. I guess I what I like about Twilight Imperium is the intricacy, where not only are you just putting fleets on the map, you have to figure out the right fleet composition. And you have to do that with a limited amount of resources. And you have to do that while considering that you could use those resources to bribe your opponents to do things for you. Mm -hmm. What I really love about the game is that no matter what's really happening on the board, there's another game happening at the table amongst the players. Yeah, I think you're uh, at at the tables that we've been at playing this game. I think you've utilized that strategy the most of the psychological manipulation game that is happening. And for me, a test of a good game is two things: one, 
how much eye contact are you making with other players? And that can't be only that. There's got to be a, a balance of both strategy and being up on the table, up mm-hmm. at each other's eyes instead of just down in your cards. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is how much it makes my heart pump and the adrenaline and blood pump when you think you're going to win. Yes. Uh, But in Twilight Imperium, that thinking you're going to win can last for an entire round, which is about an hour, maybe? Yes. Hour and a half, two hours, depending on how fast your players are. And so I remember I I really had the thought last time we played this that I might have a heart attack. <laughs> I really did because my heart was pounding for so long because I was going to win and you stole that victory from me at the very last moment. But um, no big deal. Well, you see, the thing is, is like you see everybody slowly climbing forward and it all happens at a gradual and glacial pace, right? Because we can only move so fast throughout the galaxy. And as people start antagonizing one another, you don't know who truly is really in the lead. While Becca might be a lead in the lead on paper, there's there's people that are right behind her that have a lot of other objectives they can complete within that turn. So the psychological manipulation is like pointing to Becca and saying, Look what she's doing, guys. She's going to win if we don't stop her. Well, that's most games. <laughs> but that that finger pointing and that manipulation of the other people at the table and trying to convince them to do your dirty work for you is the best part of the game because it's not necessarily at their um, disadvantage to do that dirty work because it benefits them as well. So it's a lot of trading to backstab <laughs> Which is the best way to backstab? Laying the groundwork. You're keeping your friends close and your enemies closer, mm-hmm. and that is your secret to winning, mm-hmm. which is the real reason I brought you on, was to find <laughs> out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. Um, what I like about this game is there is a mix of both public and private objectives. Yes. Because either your character has specific things they can do that everyone knows about or you've got secret objectives, but I love when there's the mix of both and the fact that you can only complete one objective private and one objective public in a turn. Yes. So uh, what you need, you can't just, you know, be saving up everything that you've finished and turn it in all at once. You need, you really can't hide that much where you are if people are really looking at what's happening on the board and dissecting it. Yes, like as you said earlier, you, your heart's pounding because you see the gradual process of your enemies as well as yourself. So they're still keeping up with you. What's the metaphor for life here? The metaphor for life? Yeah, I always see enemies creeping toward me and they always <laughs> the seem to be race. getting closer <laughs> and yet they're all within my own brain. Well, you know what? Uh, final thoughts on Twilight Imperium? I mean, the final thought on Twilight Imperium is that it's a game that's not for everyone because of its grandeur and and its size. But if you are willing to take uh, a little bit of an adventure and definitely all of your day, uh, it is definitely the best and most engaging form of diplomacy and uh, interpersonal manipulation that you can experience (laughs) in a a war and uh, negotiation game. You want to manipulate your friends? It's the game for you. Yeah, no, I think it's one of those games that you walk away with a feeling of accomplishment whether or not you won or lost. There's not, I don't think, because some games you'll walk away with this animosity towards your friends because of the way that they played. And I think we're just all intergalactic beings with our own societies. (laughs) And, you know, somebody's got Becca Rex, but... It's okay at the end of the day. I will say that one of the best parts of this game is how pissed off we all get at each other. And then the instant the game's over, we all kind of breathe for a few seconds. We're like, okay, that was all a lot of fun. Even yeah. if we're all infuriated a few minutes before, uh, the, it doesn't like last. We're just in the adrenaline of that moment. And then we all realize how much fun it was. Yeah. And I will say, because you said it's not for everyone, but I think for any gamer that would go so far as to listen to this podcast, it is for them because I thought it would be too much in depth, too crunchy for me. I would get bogged down six hours in. But really, you're it's you're just in a wormhole and the rest of the world ceases to exist and all you want is to reach Megatol Rex or complete those objectives, whatever they may be. So I was surprised at how it was not as intimidating as I thought it would be. It is still a smooth thing, and there's always stuff happening, and the benefit is is that when someone else goes, you have an option to piggyback on their turn for a lot of their actions. So it's still relevant to pay attention. There's not a lot, a lot of downtime where you're waiting for your turn. It's more like everything that's happening is uh, a piece of the puzzle. Yeah, you get up to get snacks, 
and you missed your chance to do that secondary action on someone else's someone else's card. All right. The other thing that I wanted to talk about with you today. Surprise. Yeah. Before uh, we should have announced this at the top, but I didn't because guess what? It's the first episode. Yeah. Uh, later, we're going to call up our friend Brittany Bow, also known as Bebo of Be Bold Games, and we're going to do a little phone interview with her because she is based in Seattle. Um, but before we do, I wanted to ask you your favorite games of 2018. Oh, that came out in 2018? to the best of your estimation because I didn't warn you of this question but yeah. I will tell you mine I'm always unclear on, on publication dates <laughs> and I, I've seen a lot of top 10 lists recently from other people who do you know board game stuff Yeah, and uh, I like that Rado had the caveat here's my first top 10 list because I know I have not seen all the games that came yeah. out this year or even the best of those as the the gold is filtered out of the the sieve <laughs> if you will well and sometimes they like come out in 2016 but we don't see them in 2018 for whatever reason because they were, they were published and produced at a different time someone or was keeping them in a cave somewhere <laughs> yeah the publisher just didn't like that guy they got in a fight uh well i'm going to start with i did a top 5 okay Okay, yeah. but just I didn't, I didn't, yeah. no pressure because I didn't warn you of this. I'm gonna. I have so little pressure right now. So, oh, excellent. Great. <laughs> All right, my number five game is one called Detective. Detective, tell me. Detective, um, didn't look up who published this, so whatever. <laughs> Shout out to you, publisher. <laughs> I'll tag you in the comments. No, I won't. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> so, Detective is a game where it's it's one of the few cooperative games that I like because I'm real picky about my cooperative games, as you know. But this is a game where you are all working together to solve a crime, and you are all detectives, and you're working for the police force. The board is just five locations. It's very simple board. Really, everything happens in the online website, and you um, flip cards. You have a certain limited number of hours in a day which you have to solve crimes and driving to a different location where you have to go to the evidence locker is going to take you an hour and then you'll lift up the card oh, and no. or find the card in the pile that with that number so and it's, it's like time take so management too it is but it's it's all group decisions so very few people can find ways to find fight about it except for my sister and i which we did <laughs> don't you worry um if traffic's bad does it take extra time Yes, okay. actually, I think some of the cards because you'll you'll say, okay, well, if we want to go do this, it's going to be card number twenty-seven, and then you'll go through your pile of cards, read twenty-seven. It's one of those. Um, don't want to say a brand name. Choose your own story <laughs> uh, games because uh, Black Mirror got sued. Um, really? Mm-hmm. Oh wow. Mm-hmm. 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 By the choose your own. Not story, people. Ah. <laughs> um, and uh, what, where was I? So my, <laughs> sister, my sister and I fight at every game. <laughs> Love you, Lisa. Um, uh, yeah, but it, it was really cool. It was a really immersive experience because sometimes it'll. What we were doing, we were finding a lost relic for, a, for like a Nazi artifact, and it had been stolen from a museum and sold. And so there were parts of cards that would say you can look this up on, on google it and uh see what you find and that information won't necessarily tell you the answers you don't have to but um it, it's helpful to your case to have a little backstory it just adds even more flavor of real life scenarios you're trying to solve a mystery or you're trying to solve a murder you are um, just investigating a case. And then the way that you get points is after you all have decided that you're all done collecting clues, it's your fifth day or whatever, the end of the day, the time limit that you had. And you can work overtime, but you have to take stress tokens, which hurt your overall But you get game. a fatter paycheck? Uh, there's no money involved. It's just you then go online and take the quiz, and the quiz asks you how much you know about certain aspects of the case. And sometimes it'll mislead you, and you'll be like, oh, well, I'm going to guess that it was this, because I never even thought about that, even though I found no clues to say that. But you can't be misled. you got to stick with the facts and what you know. <laughs> oh, Becca, that's a tough thing for you. you got to stick with those facts. <laughs> I don't believe no. in them most of the time. Yeah, this yeah. card says this, but I don't believe <laughs> I it. I don't believe no, it. No, that's what evidence is. Yeah. Oh, man, it's going to take me forever to get through my list <laughs> yeah, of five because I'm will. so excited. Okay, well, let's move right along. Actually, I think I know. Okay, is this one of them? This is the next one. This is my number four. Really? I'm I mean, so fascinated by this choice. 
because I I was confused by it at first, and when we played it on the show, we should say what it is. This game, <laughs> well, there's a video recording we haven't mentioned, but you can find it somewhere on the internet, probably. Maybe my YouTube. Um, <clears throat> you can just insert in later the URL with your voice. <laughs> uh, Scorpius Freighter. Scorpius Freighter. This one's from AEG. AEG. David Short and Matthew Dunstan. Well then, no, you can you you say it next time. Um, yeah. This what, what were you gonna say about it? You go first. Uh, well, it was a game that w- it was one of those examples when when I play tested it for the first time to learn it. I think we just had a really unlikely assortment of tiles in that the game was kind of stagnant, and I think it was just an anomaly because the game that you played afterwards was much more engaging. Jake has to watch me play games multiple time. <laughs> times. I have to watch it once when we record it. A second time when we edit it, and a third time when we prove it. Hmm. I'm not included in the second two weeks, by the way. It's great. Okay. You're barely included in the first. (laughs) Ouch. (laughs) All right. So this is another space-themed game, like Twilight Imperium. Uh, But not at all like Twilight Imperium. There's three different planets and on your turn you move one of the spaceships orbiting one of those planets and you do the action wherever the spaceship landed you can move once or twice um but you only have a certain number of moves before you have to refresh all of your crew for a turn um well it doesn't take a turn to do it lies uh but i really really enjoyed this game i i think i just had a lot of fun playing it i thought it was new mechanics i hadn't seen too much before and some work, some didn't. You're sliding your crew people who have their own abilities, but it doesn't really matter who you burn each time, which was my, my one complaint about it. I that, think that should have some purpose. It's, I think an ex- it's an example of a game that probably actually had more intricacy, and then as they play tested it themselves, they dropped some of that complexity. Because Ooh. I think there was a point to, like, so in the crew. The shells of complexity. Yeah, the yeah. The pistachio kernels were... <laughs> was all that. Was taken out and just the shells are left. <laughs> the pistachio kernels was they took that away. Just the shells. Oh, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the husk of the idea. Husk. Good word. <laughs> <laughs> There's actually positions in the crew, like captain and uh, engineer or whatever, but they actually don't have any relevance in the game. And I was assuming that actually they did at one point. You'd be wrong. <laughs> It was a very fun game, though. It, once you realize that that doesn't matter, then you stop fretting so much about it. It's just um, you you only have a limited number of turns. But it was interesting the way that it worked because so you have your four employees of your ship, crew members, and if you move your ship two spaces, you slide two crew members forward. If you, uh, but you have to have one left over at the end. So if if you Spin two and then one and then one. I'm getting two in the weeds. Yeah. <laughs> it's a comp. Well, okay. The the intricacies of that moment don't necessarily matter, right? Doesn't matter. Right? Well, boy, but what does matter? What's interesting to you about the game? It's the combination of worker placement and, like, engine building? It is engine building because we each have our own cruise ship and we're putting tiles in it. Thank you for guiding me through this, Jake. Yes, that is what I liked about it is the engine building aspect, which was super impressive. And one of our players when we played through had this insane engine and it taught me how I would play better next time. Um, but I also like the mechanic of how you screw over other players because it wasn't too cutthroat. <laughs> it's not you're choosing someone to target. It's that... I just want to move the ship on this planet, and I'm sorry that that's the only thing that would have helped you right now, but I'm just moving the ship on the planet. It's yeah, orbiting. The, the placement of the ship is communal in that when you move forward two spaces, that means the next player has to choose from that point where they may go. So your move and how far you go determines how far they can possibly go on their turn as well. So your intentions might screw over theirs. Ugh. But... It, You can always feign innocence. (laughs) And I'm also learning the difficulty of audio formats when talking about board games because you can't get too in the weeds. So without further ado, let's talk about the networks in detail. Describe to me exactly how each card works. (laughs) (laughs) This is a great game. Yeah. 
I liked this one a lot. Did this come out this year? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This I don't is know. A... <laughs> to me, it did. Yeah, maybe it did. Well, regardless, it's a this is a really cool game. I think you actually described it as an engine builder a little bit, and it kind of is. But it's a en- light engine builder light. Yeah. Um, From formal ferret. You play a executive of a network. Uh, trying to build a TV show lineup for prime time, eight o'clock through the ten o'clock slot. Two in the weeds, Jake. <laughs> I'm just gonna. We need a red light and a buzzer. And your goal is to gather victory points for the game. <gasps> ding 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 ding. That was two, but now you're at one net one. point yeah. for the show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, by buying shows, assigning stars, and taking advertisements as well. It's excellent. I love this game, and my favorite parts about it, the mechanics are solid, the mechanics are all there, but what really makes this game unique and special is the incredible artwork. It's like this goofy cartoon where everybody has long, weird red noses that look very phallic, or or, or, or way too tiny of noses. It's all about the noses for me. So um, either phallic noses or way too tiny <laughs> noses, and then the art is approved. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay, that's the two criteria. Yeah, we haven't yet made our show artwork, so. So note for Twilight Take Imperium 5th edition. Bigger Tiny noses, noses or, sh- <laughs> or tiny. Uh, slongy schnozzes. There you go. Schlongy schnozzes. Schlongy schnozzes. The board game podcast. (laughs) Thank you. Read my mind. Um, The other thing I love about this is the humor on the cards themselves. So each time you recruit either a star or a show itself or the upgrades on the shows or the commercials, they all have hilarious spins. I find find very funny. Everyone's humor is subjective, I guess. But all have titles for the shows that are spins on real life shows that are real funny. What was your favorite? North Lawn. North Lawn. Okay, that's I, the only one I remember. Um, I liked um, How I Left Your Father. <laughs> uh, there was Doctor What. Yep, yep. That's Andrew's favorite. Yeah, Andrew's our producer. Um, it's a great game, and it really plays on the tropes not only of like the shows themselves, but also the actors. There's like uh, the guy who always dies. There's like burnt out soap opera star, etc. So um, it, it's a lot of familiar things. That There's you get girl to who see. couldn't make it on a show, so she just talks about board games. That was a card in there. Uh, Schlong Schnaz lover. <laughs> no. Yes. Uh, yeah, I thought it was um, really really cool. Lots of different strategic mechanics going on but I think something anybody can get into because the concept is so simple and you're fighting for not not victory points point for me on my own show but uh, viewers that's true the victory mm-hmm. points are are, are are viewers in the millions or just yeah right we made that up uh, there's viewers and then you have little million dollar oh dollars in the millions, uh, yes. money stacks mm-hmm. and they're cute cardboards I thought all the pieces of this were super solid no pun they're physical objects so no pun intended um, I don't think yeah. it was a pun I think you're good okay <laughs> cool I'll never worry about trying to make a pun again because I guess I can't uh, number two for me it was a hard it was a toss up between one and two but I'm gonna go oh now I wanna switch it Betrayal Legacy yeah I was wondering I, was, I thought that'd be one but yeah okay cool two makes sense this game well the only reason it's not number one is because I wanted to pick something that anyone could pick up and play. Uh, which I think I know a where legacy you're go. game yeah, is yeah. bold. That's it's true, bold. especially yeah. one of this uh, magnitude. Depth. Yeah, magnitude. Ooh, good word. Thank you, thank you. That's why they pay me the big bucks. You one listener. Dollars. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Betrayal Legacy. If no one's played Betrayal at the House on the Hill, it's a classic game. I think it originally came out in 2012. That one did, um, and don't don't be impressed. I can't remember who makes it. Um, <clears throat> oh, uh, Avalon Hill. Thank you, Avalon Hill. <laughs> now I remember. Uh, <laughs> so, but betrayal at the house on the hill is a house where you're flipping tiles to create a haunted house. Halfway through the game, turns out one of your friends is evil, and they come after you. Or sometimes the house is evil and comes after everybody. Um, different scenarios emerge based on which room the bad thing happened in and and then you just have to run away with only the tools and objects and that you've already items that you've already found and uh, I love when I get to be the evil one and betrayal legacy is
is that, but you're in the same house, generation after generation, and your family always has one remaining living heir, at least, that is in this house at this time with the other people from other families and um yeah the events of the first game dictate the setup of the second game and that once you guys play through the first whoever survives becomes the owner of the house in the second game and the descendants of those people who died in the first are the same players so you actually start building a continuing storyline which is what a legacy game is for those of you that might not know. i thought the definition of a legacy game was you get to rip stuff up <laughs> that's really close Thanks. yeah you get to permanently mar or destroy pieces because they might not be needed Ugh, but I, I think what legacy is mostly about is the fact that the games affect each other can we talk about how we feel about writing on cards with permanent marker and ripping them up generally i mean i haven't got to do it yet you've been doing it on the show with great satisfaction do you ever get jealous um yeah <laughs> cool <laughs> i mean i can rip things up it's okay <laughs> do you go home and just ripped up stacks of paper just think this this is a betrayal card it's all this just betrayal te card tears and half cards in my house <laughs> tears? Oh, tears. I don't want to talk about I it. I get it. <laughs> uh, I was I thought you were mispronouncing tears. <laughs> <laughs> nope. These tears are for you. Thank you. Tears of endearment. I don't know if that was That's tears true. or tears right there. Um other thoughts on Betrayal Legacy? Uh it is uh it is amazing because of the level of story telling that can go on in it. Um, the thing about Betrayal Legacy is there's a lot of different branches. It's kind of a choose your own story, story. Uh, situation in that um, the outcomes of the game will uh, force different cards or different events to happen in future games that might not happen if your group hadn't taken that route. So two different groups on different sides of the country playing the game might have two very different experiences despite having all the same components. You stand alone in a haunted house. There's two doorways you could go through. Go through the left or go through the right. Your life will never be the same because you're gonna die either way. Okay. Like that? Uh, I'll go to the left. <laughs> okay, great. You go into a room and it's just full of jello. Uh oh, am I suffocating? Yeah, you're suffocating okay. in jello. Well, as the building inspector, this is not safe, so I start swimming back and <laughs> I put a notice swim, on the door. What? But you feel the jello go into your lungs. You oh, feel no. your lungs become coated in jello as you try and gasp for air, but there's nothing, nothing but green jello. Uh, is this like the ending of the abyss where I can start to try and breathe water and adapt to that? Kind of atmosphere. Yeah, you become a jello fish man. Okay. You and you not continue seen the inspecting houses. <laughs> no, I have not seen the abyss. <clears throat> okay, number one game of 2018 on the Becca's uh, list that she just shot. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Jake, it's my show. I know. <laughs> Don't make too many jokes, okay? Uh, no. How my... many more? I said too many. Okay. <laughs> I held up a number two for you listeners at home. <clears throat> My favorite game of the year, Western Legends. Oh, yeah. What did you think I was going to say? Uh, I kind of thought it was going to be Keyforge. It was number six on this list, and it was a top five. Yeah, okay. Western Legends is solid. Yeah. I forgot all about it. All right, let me give the exact same pitch that I gave off air so flawlessly. <clears throat> it's a sandbox game, which uh, typically is a term that you put to video games, but this is one where you can do whatever you want. So you're fighting for legendary points, not victory points. Ding. <clears throat> And you earn them by either doing good things or bad things or neutral things, but mostly good or bad. If you do good things, you are on the martial track, on the track of law and order. If you do bad things, you are on the wanted track. And the martial track players can come after you and arrest you. So on your turn, you do, I believe, three actions. You can move or you can interact with the spaces where you are. There's a saloon where you can play real poker. Three card, three card flap, floppy I mean, dots. It's real Poke, yeah, it's poker. Pokey? And, and I think Real you can pokey. like celebrate too. Like you can just party and get. Yeah, there's that a, way definitely too. a revel option, revel, but you've got to yeah. earn money and then turn it in to do so at a different location at the, at the cabaret. Um, I like this game a lot. I've been playing it 
a little bit. And I love, uh, you You can go to the bank, deposit your gold nuggets that you had to mine for, and then immediately rob the bank you just deposited in. Yeah, and become a bad person. Mm-hmm. But you have to fight the guard by playing one of the poker cards in your hand, and it's basically high card versus high card. And it's, it's so great because it can be whatever you want it to be. The rules are pretty clear. You just go somewhere and do a thing, and a very clear player aid card, which I love. Almost as much as I dislike most cooperatives. One of the favorite things is the player aid card. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, that's valuable. Not enough game makers make good player aid cards, it's and every really time important. they're included, we are always very thankful. That's that actually is very sincere. I find it important to I praise such things. Yes, I do too. So that they continue. Um, I I don't know. I feel oh. like. <laughs> Just yeah. wanted to say, Twilight Imperium has a horrible player aid card. It does. What are you talking about? Yeah, it's all right. Uh, no, I veto. What? No, the that's not true. The turn order guide. Yeah, is is it monstrously. Some out. What does it leave out? Pick up a card. That's not a step. That's why. <laughs> Pick up a card. There's a whole guide on the side that shows you the three types of turn steps. It outlines tactical orders, and then it outlines the cleanup phase and I, the agenda phase. I think. Um, so most of the time you don't do most of the phases, and the ones that you do every turn need to be bigger and in bold. Okay, okay, Thank I'll you. concede that point. Thank that you. maybe they didn't size it correctly. I yeah. Uh... <laughs> I like big schnozzes and big <laughs> headings on uh, player aid cards. The podcast. <laughs> uh, the thing about Western Legends is, I think it's what the Fallout game should have been. Oh, sick burn to fantasy <laughs> flight. No, no. You're trying to get them no, to do a Twilight Imperium do show. Oh, I want to work with them. Uh, no. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, it Right? Well, and what I was saying about Detective is similar to a mechanic in Fallout the board game where it's, okay, this happens, go through your stack of cards that are numbered and find the number and read that aloud. And I like that storytelling aspect. But maybe you're right. Yeah, that was the I cool see. part of Fallout was how many different quest options there were. But mm-hmm. what Fallout didn't do was like you couldn't kind of go out and do your your line of morality, which I feel like Fallout does is like you're kind of either the black hat or the white hat. And that's, I'm going to say railroad or institute. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Thank yes, you. and you. but you're kind of forced into those r- routes though in that game. Right. Whereas where I feel like Western Legends, you can kind of do a lot of things. Like you can be a, a lawman, but you can also just be a partier or like a miner. Or, you could or, just mine yeah. for gold every turn, which involves rolling dice. Or cattle rustling or cattle herding. Like there's actually a lot of different options, whereas like Fallout's kind of like, this is the options that's been presented, A or B. Let me just say, rustling and wrangling. The podcast. <laughs> Uh, well, those are the two different. But I see what you mean that um, because in Fallout, you only have the choice to declare for one side or the other instead of actually earning points for them. Mm-hmm. And in Fallout, if one of those factions becomes too powerful, then the game ends and everyone loses. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's in- true. Uh-huh. And I don't want this to be like, I'm not trying to slam Fallout, but like I feel like the game, the the video game Fallout really evoked that sandbox feel that the uh, board game didn't quite make. It, it was, was it a was little too, too ambitious Yeah, because it, it would become an eight-hour game, but not in the way that Twilight. Few games can do eight <laughs> hours the way Twilight Imperium can. Where Whereas Western Legends keeps it nice and tight and a, really in a, uh, a cornered area where you don't have to worry too much about the options that get presented because they're always kind of at least there. You always at least can try whatever route you want. Yeah. And you can give up and switch sides halfway through. It's great. <laughs> oh, man. Well, those are my five. Did anything come to mind? Did you want to talk about Keyforge? Well, we should mention Keyforge, I feel, because... Honorable mention. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I haven't played enough of it to, to like put it in my top five, but I know that it's a game that I'm like, they're doing something so different that it's it works in a new way that it, no one else is trying, so it deserves recognition. Yeah, I bow deeply to Richard Garfield, and that's also the reason why, because I've only played a handful of times, and so I, I didn't feel like I could put it in yes, I understand my top that. five, which is ironic given that some many of these games I've only played once. But um, Keyforge is, I guess it's not a collectible card game, is it? It's not because you don't... It's a non-collectible yeah. collectible card game. Every deck is made up of 40. It's what's called a unique card game. Cool, cool, cool card game. Uh, 
meaning that every box is completely different. There's something like four billion different prints of different decks, which became a problem when their random name generator actually accidentally generated bad words, <laughs> um, and they had to issue apologies for that. But it, it's so Richard Garfield created Magic: The Gathering, very popular, and yet. The issue, even though they always come out with new cards and standard format is always changing, which is only the past two years of cards, um, people will have these legacy cards that are so powerful and you can buy an individual card that's very powerful to help your deck. And if someone's just trying to get into it, the barrier to entry is very high with Magic the Gathering because um, you don't know what to spend your money on or you don't want to spend all that money. Whereas Keyforge, you cannot change any card in your deck every box of cards is 10 bucks for a deck. So I think Richard Garfield has been sitting somewhere just twiddling his fingers and thinking, how can I fix this problem I created? Well, see, Magic, the Wizards of the Coast did a pretty good job of trying to address that with a lot of like different introductory introductory decks and like pre-built decks, which really are, are a pretty even step for it. The barrier for entry feels high, but it, it is kind of a perception thing. Mm-hmm. But you are right in that the, the economy and the game design does lend itself to, hey, spend your money optimizing by getting these cards, therefore your deck will theoretically be the best. Whereas Keyforge doesn't give you that option because you buy a deck and that is what you play with. Yeah. No matter what. Yeah. Um, similar mechanics, but you're just trying to forge keys instead of murder your friend. Yeah, and you uh, can activate one of the three houses that you have as opposed to tapping mana to unleash certain colors of cards. Uh, you can only enact those houses' actions in a turn. Yep, there you go. That's how Keyforge is played. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's an excellent game, and I look forward to playing more of it. I have some cards at home. Yeah, but we should I, play. On that note, I am playing some Magic tonight. You want to play Magic tonight? <laughs> Sure, after my thing, yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> cool, glad, glad we got that in the recording. Um, you know, I have uh, a second guest that I would like to introduce you to, who we mentioned earlier, Brittany Bow. Cliffhanger! We're going to take a short break. Okay, guys, welcome back from our break. We have our guest on the phone, our real guest, not this, this second-hand guest I got right here. <laughs> I like to rag on Jake. All right. Um, our Skype interview guest is Brittany Bow, better known as Bebo. She's a Latinx, Seattle-based tabletop expert, owner of Bebold Games, and author of the Everything Tabletop Games book published by Simon & Schuster and available now. Um, I really asked Bebo here because I wanted to talk about what it means to be a woman in gaming. So, Bebo. Awesome. Bebo. Welcome. Thank you for having me. How'd I do on the blurb? It was perfect. Okay, great. This show is really just an excuse for me to get praise. I mean, that's exactly what podcast should be about. Oh, so thank you. Okay, good. Validation, that, that's equal to praise. One victory point, Viva. <laughs> Ding. <clears throat> okay. Um, so I really want to talk about what it's like to be a woman in the gaming industry, how you feel about that. And uh, I just want to start out easy why should women get to play games? Okay, so for me, the biggest reason why I love playing tabletop games as a woman is because I get to sit across from somebody and really connect with them with purpose. One of the things that I struggle with as a woman in general out in the public is that uh, there are people who have motives that are not having to do with a board game in between us. And so if I put a board game between us, they want nothing everybody between. has purpose and I don't have to question anybody's ulterior motives unless we're playing a game like Werewolf. <laughs> and then the whole purpose of the game is to question people's ulterior motives. Right. But at least I know that I'm there to question ulterior motives. A tricky question how do you think the industry is doing with inclusivity? Because I know this is a thing you're a big proponent of. I think that we're getting there, but we still have a very long way to go. And some of the best ways that we can do that is to work together to help overcome socioeconomic situations for people who don't have access to tabletop games. And of course, solve for time, money, and accessibility in general for anybody that's looking to play games. This means getting more games into libraries, publishers sending them to them, or even if you have a local library, 
reaching out to publishers and getting donations to give to the library because I mean where else are people gonna go discover new games that is a brilliant idea yeah more games in libraries um I know my local library which I just got my library card does not have any games they've got audiobooks which is cool and solid but uh yeah that's the perfect place because this isn't something that we as tabletop gamers talk about or think about enough in my experience. There is a real steep curve to the price point on a lot of these games. I'd be and the learning curve, too. I'd be interested to see how the implementation of games in schools have gone because there's a lot of after-school programs that have started being built around board games. My nephew out in Arizona is actually a part of one, and he's... What I thought was pretty young to be getting into some of these, but like when I played some of the games with him, like I played Century Spice Road with him, and he was way into it. He and his friend actually stayed up. His parents didn't know. They stayed up to like three in the morning playing that game, and like were exhausted the next day because of how obsessed they were about it. And it's interesting to see because the game like that is like a math game. It is resource management, and that's a school skill. So like it can be incorporated into lessons in such a better way than just a worksheet. And I'd be interested to see of like how that makes games more accessible for kids in general. Totally. Bebo, you have a daughter, um, and you guys play a lot of games together, right? Yeah, she's nine now, which is wow. awesome because she can finally start playing the more difficult games with me. <laughs> yeah. I have uh, a niece who's seven, and right on her seventh birthday, I taught her a game called Barbarian Battlegrounds, but it has to do with fighting bears. It's charming dice rolling but simultaneous dice rolling and she was really into it she was better than my sister-in-law and I at this game because we doubted her you know but she she understood the complexity and that's that's a really good point too that gaming does have this ability to just stretch your mind in ways that we forget to do you know, there's all these apps that are for learning and for your mind games but like just just play a tabletop game and you'll learn. There's live something really special about interacting with other human beings while playing tabletop games too. My grandma is 81 and she has a gaming group at her retirement home and it's just these four 80 plus year old ladies who are just killing it playing games like Spirit Island and no Mystic. We don't believe you. They play Spirit they, Island? Yeah, they also played all the way through every scenario in Robinson Crusoe. What? Wait, they're they're 81. 81 years old and playing through Spirit Island. That is a show in and of itself. Like that <laughs> that is a Twitch streamable thing that I'm pretty sure everybody would want to see. Yeah, Bebo, you need to get your grandma on camera. Yeah. I'm I'm going to go interview them. They agreed to it, but we have to plan carefully cuz she's a very 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 busy woman. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, she's like, I'll see if I can fit you in my schedule, granddaughter. I would love to see your grandma playing a fire elemental and casting destructive spells of nature. That's amazing. It's pretty great. I'm really proud of her. And she's actually the one that got me into tabletop games. I just didn't ever expect her to get into the games that I was into. Oh, that is so cool. What was the first game that you remember playing with your grandma? Um, the very first game that I played with her was the Care Bears Carolot game. I think I was three years old. <laughs> Carolot, that's amazing. Uh, yeah, well, teaching good morality. Mm -hmm. And then eventually she got me super into like cribbage. Oh, nice. Now that sounds more like a grandma. I more cribbage, less Spirit Island. You're blowing my mind. <laughs> I think this is a future <laughs> podcast episode is talking to Bebo's grandma. Yeah. Way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I right? mean. I'm so glad that you're always in producer mode, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> we got to get her on camera. We got to get her <laughs> an so agent. True. We got to oh, get her out to L.A. because she's got some panels to be on. <laughs> I will bring my grandma to L.A. Oh, my gosh. Please. Please. Um. Okay. I wanted to chat about the, uh, similar on the we need more women in gaming topic, but you posted a screenshot that you pulled off Board Game Geek, Bebo, that was a list of hot videos this week and board game geek had one of your videos in it which is awesome congratulations mm -hmm. and uh, you had screenshotted it with the caption why am i the only woman on this list yep <laughs> um so that's not a question let me think of a question related to that <laughs> why did you post it that way that's no that thing, yeah, why yeah. did you frame it that way because i'm excited that you are on that list as a woman in gaming you know 
Yeah, and I am excited to be on that list. But one thing that I really didn't even talk about in that post is that I ask for people to upvote my stuff. And that just means that people aren't actively going out and seeking to support women. But more importantly, um, you know, women should be posting their links and promoting themselves and not have to feel bad about it. There's a stigma that we aren't allowed to be proud of this work that we're doing, but we deserve praise and we deserve to be noticed. And so I really just encourage any women that are out there making content to post their links to their content and ask people to like and upvote it or comment because that's the way that we're going to get noticed and seen. Absolutely. That's a really good point. And I think it speaks to something that women in any industry are rising to the challenge of, but I think, at least in my nature, um, is to be a little more reserved and humble, even though I, I fake it way in the opposite direction, uh, to compensate and make a joke out of it. But really, it, it comes from this place of um, not trusting that I deserve to be here. And, and you know... Um, and I think that's that's the an imposter syndrome thing that a lot of women deal with in many industries. I think imposter syndrome is a pretty serious problem in board gaming specifically. I think at least once a day I question like, is my content worth watching? Is it good? And I'm, I think it's tell good you, yes. to acknowledge that and try to continue growing as a as a creator and as a content producer. But at the same time, I deserve to be here as much as any man does. Absolutely. Now, Jake, as a producer, I notice you, obviously, in- inclusivity is a big thing for you. Um, how how do you? Well, for me, one of that? the yeah, I mean, one of the main goals because I can't control necessarily accessibility, or at least I don't have the time for it always. Like I, the way I try to help with that is that we try to get people of all representations on the show, so people who are watching can see themselves instead of. Uh, but five white guys playing that game again. <laughs> and I say that as a white guy who loves playing games with, unfortunately, also a lot of other white guys. But living in L.A. has, has managed to change that for me a lot. But we like to get um, all, people from all walks of life on the show and all different levels of gaming as well. So that's the kind of the, the way I've been trying to open up other people um, into the into the game world and our show. We, our show, as well as the role-playing games that you produce, um, like Relics and Rarities. I know you had Deborah Ann Wall as the GM for that. Yes, yeah. There's a new Dungeons & Dragons show that we're going to be doing, and uh, that uh, has a lot of diversity in it, too, which is really great. Well, that's pretty sweet. Um, Bebo, I want to ask you about your book, the Everything Tabletop Games book. What is it, and what inspired you to make that? Yeah, so actually... Um a friend of mine emailed me and said, hey, I think you'd be perfect for this and CC'd Simon & Schuster and they were looking for an author for this book and as it turns out, I'm an encyclopedic knowledge in human form of like Board Game Geek. So it was really easy for me to sit down and list out 100 games that I would cover and then categorize in different areas and then I wrote down, you know, kind of a short intro about the theme of the game and then a brief game overview about kind of how to play it and then also, you know, what scenarios in which you would play it. You know, are you going to play this with your grandma or are you going to play this at a party game night? And also, you know, gave some general guidance to people as to how to plan a game night, how to take into account other people's personalities and pick the right game for the right group. Um, yeah, so it's basically a way to get people who have maybe played Monopoly and Sorry and introduce them to the wider scope of tabletop gaming and then give them a list of games that they can choose from. There are 100 games total in the book and it should be really easy for them to go from there. Brilliant. I love that. That's really cool. That should be in everyone's holiday gift boxes. But <laughs> This holiday season. <laughs> this 2019 holiday season. Plan ahead. I mean, that is so true that a lot of people have only played Monopoly and Sorry. And when I tell people that I work in board games now, they are legitimately confused about, mm-hmm. like, what do you mean, like, Monopoly? I'm like, well... Technically, yes, but you know that there's a lot of board games out there, and they truly don't. So you providing move, come on. Yeah, you providing a, a roadmap towards some of the more accessible ones and how to get there, that's a really great resource. Yeah, yeah well, I, I picture it sitting on every board game collection's shelf of just, oh yeah, peruse this, I've got them all. Yeah, I hope so. And I also made sure to, almost all of the, book, all of the games in the book are below a three, in difficulty based on board game geek 
And so I kind of scoured, you know, all of the games that I could find on there and made sure that they were going to be accessible and easy to teach and easy to learn for these people. There's in every chapter, there's one game that's a little bit beyond that. So if people want to go to the next level, they can. That's smart. Oh, I love that. I'm so excited to check it out. Um, Guys, just some silly fun questions. I'm going to give you a little this or that. And hopefully somebody will want to argue about it. Um, all right. Disagree. <laughs> uh, these are just silly. It's a list. Okay. Um, house rules or never? Um, almost never. Ooh. Always. <laughs> Always. Yeah, sure. Why? Because at the end of the day, if a game is broken, it's my job to fix it. And it doesn't matter what what rules we change because at the end of the day the point of gaming is having fun and i as long as everybody at the table is enjoying themselves i feel like that is more important than following the rule book word for word Ooh, i i don't disagree with anything you just said but i guess i would say that it's not my job to fix it it's <laughs> their job to fix it and if the game's broken i'm probably not gonna play it <laughs> but if it's minorly broken or if there are like mechanics in it that like could use a little tweaking i'm 100 percent on board yes bebo uh we played we talked about twilight imperium earlier and as you'll notice on board game geek on the forums there are quite a few house rules to try and even out the different factions, because some seem to be more overpowered. Is that one that you've played? I have not played Twilight Imperium. Hey, it's a it's an ex- exclusive small club that you have to know Jake Michaels to be. <laughs> Come and uh, bring your grandma down, and we'll all play. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, tiebreakers, or no? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of my this or that or or. Huh? Uh, um, yeah, always, right? Like, well, how do you feel about a game that will say, okay, well, who, whoever has the most victory points wins. If not, whoever has the most money. And if not that, then I guess you tied. Do you think there has to always be keep going until there is one winner or not? I think a game should do their best to provide a winner if it's a competitive game. Um, and if if it's a small mechanic like who has the most cards, we should always make sure that people are aware of that during the game because it might it might dictate your play. Or don't tell them. Ah, uh, Becca. <laughs> <laughs> See, my thought is I try not to overwhelm people when I'm teaching the game yeah. with too many rules at once. And yeah, that's, I get that. That's the that is the trade off. Um, yeah, that's the trade off. Is the f- very simple phrase I couldn't find. <laughs> what do you think, Bebo, about tiebreakers? In my house specifically, I don't even think we care about who won the game at all, ever. Uh, So it doesn't really matter to us. But I will say that if there is three or more tiebreaker rules in a rulebook and then there's still a tie, I will tweet the publisher or the designer every time just to see what the fourth tiebreaker would be because usually they come up with something hilarious and ridiculous that's worth hearing. Ooh, do you have an example? Not off of the top of my head, okay, but I know sorry. I've done this like a dozen times. <laughs> oh, I, I remember one. Um, I think it was Arboreum, Arboretum. Um, and this game, the, the, the tiebreaker was go outside, plant a tree, and whoever has the bigger tree in five years wins. <laughs> <laughs> Which is brilliant. There I you go. love it. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, that's about it. Um, I have two more questions for you guys, which are... <laughs> First of all, what is your personal secret objective? And second of all, how's gaming going to change the world? But uh, while you think about that for a second, I just want to say thanks to you guys, to Jake Michaels and Bebo, Brittany Bow, uh, for joining us. And thanks to you, the one person listening at home. <laughs> Be sure to subscribe and check in next week for a new episode so we have more wonderful guests coming your way that I've tricked into giving me their time and sharing their opinions on the wonderful world of tabletop gaming. Um, but first, Bebo, what is your personal secret objective? Well, it used to be to buy a house, but now I did it. So I guess uh, my personal secret objective is to start a board game cult and become my grandmother. But instead of having a four-person board game group, have like a 200-person board game cult. Yeah, for all those 200-player games. I love it. I love it. Start a board game cult. The Order of Bebo. Jake, yep. what's your personal secret objective? Uh, to get highest in the initiative order. Okay. <laughs> okay. I want to go first more in life. 
Oh. Yeah. Oh. Tackle things. I thought it was just you trolling my question. No, no, no. Uh, I mean it literally and figuratively in that like uh, I I wait on too many things right now sometimes and need to actually take action. Yeah. It's more of a philosophy. Yeah. Oh, I like that. That's good. Take initiative. And what was the other question? Uh, how will gaming change the world? It'll get people to look at each other when they play games. Like you mentioned with eye contact, or maybe Bebo did, but yeah, like you mentioned with eye contact, I think that that's important and not enough people do that. And I love playing video games with my friends, but it's a whole different experience when we're at a table together and we start to forget that in this digital age. I took credit, but Bebo also said the same thing, that the beauty of tabletop is us connecting over a table. Bebo. Will you expound one more time on how gaming will change the world? Gaming will change the world. Uh, primarily, we're, I'm going to circle back to where we started, which is that gaming allows people to comprehend information a lot quicker and on top of that, retain information longer term because we learn through play better than any other way. And I would really love to see curriculum and schools incorporate more tabletop gaming. Absolutely. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Vibo and Jake. Guys, that's all the time we have on Victory Points, the board game pod. We'll see you next time.